Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 84 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live talk show and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz. Today we are talking finally with researcher, clinician, <laughs> educator, and 21st century evidence-based clinical nutritionist Michael McAvoy about all things histamine intolerances, metabolism, digestion, and the connection to thyroid and autoimmunity. Should be very interesting, especially since I've been itching a lot lately, so I can't wait to talk to <laughs> Well, it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot between patients, let's put it that way. So there's a lot we don't know, so we're super, super excited. So, of course, if you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation Radio podcasts, you can log in really easily, download them, listen to them at your leisure, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, ACAST, Blog Talk Radio, my goodness, you can connect with Thyroid Nation, just anywhere, great for long drives, jogging, anything like that. Absolutely. And it's hopefully it's fun to listen. Hopefully we're not just throwing out, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> information, blah, 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 information. <laughs> we may be a little long-winded. But <laughs> oh, we're definitely long-winded for sure. <laughs> Huh. And we oh giggle a lot, but we like to have fun. We giggle a lot. We do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Which is good. I mean, I think it's good to giggle, right? I mean, oh, if we they need only it. How often we talked about privately oh my on radio. Oh, my gosh. I know. And then, and then, you know, but we don't even really get to laugh. It's just that when we get together on the phone, we giggle. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just good for us, I guess. <laughs> Laughter is really good. I will tell you, there's nothing better for me than a good belly, gut laugh. Oh, my gosh. That's just awesome. I know. (laughs) Right? Very healing. All right. Okay, other healing. healing. Let's talk, yeah, let's talk some other things. Uh, Today we have a really special guest, um, Michael McAvoy. He has been involved in the healing arts pretty much his whole life. He's been an avid student of the yogic arts since 2001, and and he credits his yoga and meditation practices for creating stability, discipline, and self-healing in his life. So we're going to have to talk to him about the supermoon, just as a little side note today. And um, there's true. probably going to be some kind of shift going on today, so I'm sure he will um, know a little bit about that. that we're going to have to talk to him. Shift. Shift. Oh, yeah. S-H-I-F. As in Frank T. Sorry. Oh, my God. Did it sound like something else? Okay. No giggling. Okay, wait. We're going to finish. This is important because he's got some really great, yeah, he's got some really great letters and and information about him. So let me finish. Okay. Before we giggle, Michael is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner through the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Institute and a certified nutritional consultant through the American Association of Nutritional Consultants. He's also a certified metabolic typing advisor, CMTA, which is pretty neat, through the Health Excel System of Metabolic Typing. He is currently on the staff of the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Institute, specializing in research and development, and is also engaged in a two-year course in professional herbal studies through Michael Tierra's East-West School of Planetary Herbology. Wow. I bet that's really interesting. He meets the clients from all walks of life including medical doctors, chiropractors, professional athletes, fitness models and trainers, alternative healthcare professionals, and all those who are interested in achieving higher levels of health 
By using customized nutrition strategies, strategies. He offers a wide spectrum of services for his clients nationally and internationally. So he's like a, he's like, let me just say, a nutrition hacker or a metabolism hacker or something like that, right? <laughs> Everybody's using hacker, so I'm going to be the thyroid hacker. So that's, that's going to be my hashtag. So there you go. I have mental pictures in my head on that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's bring the serious in and get to the good. It looks like he's already with us. So, Dana, let's get this thyroid nation thriving. Good morning. Can you hear us okay? Hi. Good morning. Yes. Awesome. How are you? Listen to that big, strong, right. loud voice. Awesome. <laughs> I know. Oh. Ladies, good so to be here. How are, you th- how are you this morning? We're, we're good. We're good. Great. Michael, we're where are you calling in from? So watch out. I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz. Awesome. So so you got that big, beautiful moon. Did anyone else see that extraordinary moon last night? It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite beautiful here. We've, we've been getting a lot of rain, so um, which is much needed, mind you. Um, but yes. the uh, the moon the moon was just beautiful last night. It was it was just shining through all the clouds, so everything was illuminated. Oh my gosh! I'm sure there was so I'm sure there was a lot of yeah. There's I'm sure there's a lot of biophotonic energy coming off of the, the illumination from the moon, and definitely has a ability to do things to people's behavior. I don't know if anybody's done any studies on the effect of moonlight on histamine, but it might be modulating it in some way. <laughs> really tell, us, tell us about that that sounds really well i don't know really <laughs> i don't know that, well we know that we know that the, the moon for sure has an effect on circadian rhythm in the body i mean that you look at uh the, the incidence of crime for example during full and new moons and it's there's certainly a correlation but I, i'd be very curious to find out if anybody's done any research on the effect of um the moon on uh, you know things like immune function and I, I suspect that it probably does have an effect. I mean, everything is related to oh, everything yeah. else. And so, some things affect things more than others. But, there's, you know, the, the reality is that there's so much different research that's happening that we're living in an amazing time. I like to think that right now in this part of the 21st century, it's kind of like the Wild West of functional medicine, the Wild West of health. And, you know, you can go out there and stake your ground and just, start digging a well and you'll you'll be you'll guarantee to find something right right so we're, we're all we're all capable of that and so I, I think that one of the things that i like to teach people is how to really like you know get get into that process of figuring things out you know realizing that we are our own teachers we're our own students we're our own doctors we're our own patients we're all of those things we're our own researchers we have the ability to really put on all those different hats to figure things out. It's an awesome do. time. Yes, it is. <laughs> Dan we and do. I were talking and much about I, all of that this morning. <laughs> yes, we were. We were. And, uh, and you're right. We, Tiffany and I always you know, say on each show that our bodies are so amazing and they know how to heal. And so if you'll just listen to what your body's saying and, and try to be in tune and uh, pay attention. You know, our bodies are uh, intentionally wonderfully made. So, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. We need, and, yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say we need well, you to do gonna some gonna of those supermoon studies. 
<laughs> we need you to do some supermoon studies. That would be really cool. Well, I mean, if they're modulating, if if people's mood can change because of the moon, then there must be modulation to cytokines because cytokines modulate everything from immune activity to neurotransmitters to hormone activity. Everything is modulated at the molecular level by these cytokines. Well, at least that's what's being expressed. And so if that's the case, then the cytokines must be, you know, if, if the, if, if the moon is likely affecting people's behavior, it must be acting on some kind of cytokine pathways. So it has to likely have an effect on other things physiologically as well. We just don't know yet. I but love in it. Terms of, yeah, well, in terms of histamine, I, I think this is a really interesting topic to, to get into because there's actually quite a bit of out there about what histamine is doing. And it, because of the you know, abundance of information, it's sometimes easy to get lost in it and you kind of get confused about certain things. But the, the interesting thing about histamine is that it, it functions kind of as both a neuromodulator as well as an immune modulator. So it has an ability to affect your mood and your behavior as well as your immune activities. Okay, I don't think I realized that, to be honest with you. I don't. Does it have the ability to affect your mood and things? Yeah, so it's it's a neuromodulator. It's a neuro histamine is a neurotransmitter, like your other neurotransmitters, serotonin, GABA, glutamate, okay, dopamine. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's the research shows that um, histamine has an ability to affect all these other neurotransmitters in the body, in the in the brain and in the nervous system. So, for example, research has shown that histamine in the body has the ability to reduce the utilization of serotonin. So we know about serotonin being a modulator for, you know, various aspects of our, our mood and behavior. Most antidepressant drugs are acting on the serotonin system. You know, like SSRI drugs, for example, are, are acting to, to inhibit the reuptake of serotonin in, in, in the neuronal system. So, there is, so serotonin has, you know, antidepressant effects, neuromodulating effects on how we feel and, and kind of giving us a sense of upliftment. People use things to, to take, to promote their serotonin by, um, you know, taking natural supplements like 5-HTP and tryptophan and things like that. Rhodiola rosea is, is serotonin modulators, but histamine can, if, if histamine levels get high, this can have an inhibitory effect on serotonin utilization. So that means that people that have clinical depression may, may in, in my opinion, in, in my experience, I'm assessing their histamine activity, their histamine levels, because it could actually be underlying some of their mood and behavior related problems. Interesting. The other thing that histamine has shown to be doing with other neurotransmitters is that it's been shown to increase the activities of dopamine and norepinephrine or noradrenaline. So it has this ability to be excitatory. So it's an, histamine is an excitatory neurotransmitter. It stimulates. It, 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 you know, it, it, has, it plays an important role in brain stimulation, for example. Um, and, and because it's, it's synergistic with dopamine and norepinephrine, it plays a part in cognition, in the ability to process information, 
a dopamine being a neurotransmitter that is 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 involved in um you know regulating focus concentration and mood um kind of you think dopamine is like the happy if there's some kind of people call it like a happy neurotransmitter where you know you get kind of the feeling of elation but histamine is synergistic to those but obviously in a in an imbalanced state if somebody has high histamine they often have problems with excitation so they might have ocd very common finding people with obsessive compulsive disorder or attention de- deficit disorders where there's an upregulation of the sympathetic nervous system certain parts of the sympathetic okay. nervous system histamine you're levels, hitting home keep going you're hitting ten- home histamine <laughs> tends to be very high in those people yeah it's hitting home for a lot of people because this is the reality is that this is a, a major problem in the 21st century Mood, mood, mood disorders and, and behavior disorders, especially with children, but even with adults as well. So histamine plays a central role in these mood and behavior disorders. We know that. That's very well established. And by modulating histamine in mood and behavior disorders, we are able to literally affect, positively affect how people feel and behave. So it's very okay. interesting. That's, We're taking it all that's in. A flower it's kind of a flower field say, moment. That's a flower field. <laughs> it is because you know we're just taking all of your information in, and I'm processing it, and I'm trying to see how it relates to me and my family and my son. So this is wonderful. And so there's ways of you know so that we've talked a little bit about you know some of the major effects of histamine on the brain, and so. Again, just to kind of recap that, because I know I'm, I'm kind of talking quickly and, and throwing out terms that some people might not be totally, uh, you know, aware of yet. But um, right. just to recap that, histamine has a modulating effect on the brain and nervous system, and as such, it will affect mood and behavior in various ways, positively or negatively. In in an imbalanced person where there is kind of hyperactivity, OCD, ADD, ADHD, those kinds of um, those kinds of clinical problems, histamine is typically much higher in those states. And by lowering histamine and by working on balancing brain chemistry, histamine levels begin to lower, and so does the, you start to see the corrections of mood and behavior. Now, Balancing brain chemistry, is that something that you work on with your clients, and what do you kind of look at first to, to work on? Is it food, or, or where do you go with that? Well, yeah, so first to answer the question, um, yes, that's – Clearly, we, we work with clients that have um, various issues related to mood and behavior and um, neurotransmitter imbalances, if you will. Um, there can be many causes of what's going on there. Um, we, we'll use, in terms of like testing, we'll look at whole blood histamine is probably, the, in my opinion, the best way of testing histamine in the body. So it's it's a combination of what's inside the cells is what's out as well as what's outside of the cells. So the whole blood histamine is a, is a simple blood test you can have done from LabCorp and it's it's relatively inexpensive, and it can tell you a lot about a person. Um, so we'll we'll start with that. We'll look at some other you know n- nutrient markers like the zinc and copper levels, which can also play a significant role. We'll look at um, certain B vitamin markers like vitamin B6 indicators. 
So there's there's a lot of clues that we can pull from to kind of understand where the, the problems might be. Now, I, I want to kind of bridge over and talk a little bit about histamine's effect on the immune system and how you can you know you can you can usually tell if somebody has high histamine based on just some of their immunological responses so like if somebody's more prone towards having seasonal allergies which again you know uh the, the symptoms of that would be itchy eyes watery eyes uh, histadelic symptoms itching itching is definitely associated with histamine and um, but so is so are other things. So sneezing, itching, eyes, watery eyes, those are all associated with increased histamine response. So well, let's talk a little bit about it. So the, the histamine is, it's a, it's a immunomodulator as well as a neurotransmitter. And as an immune modulator, it resides in certain immune cells and gets released in bursts when there's something that will trigger it. So for example, um, it's stored in the, the – the, uh, one of the immune cells that store histamines are called mast cells, M-A-S-T. And mast cells are involved in the allergic response mechanism. People that have, for example, um, uh, real true um, serious anaphylactic allergies – which can, you know, you have to take adrenaline for if somebody like has a peanut allergy, for example. Histamine is strongly involved. Histamine will get released from mast cells under those circumstances where it basically, what histamine does under those circumstances is it dilates the blood vessels and it enables all these other white blood cells to attack to wherever the body perceives there to be a threat. So that's what starts to get these – that's where you start to get these symptoms of histamine, symptoms, itching, watery eyes, sneezing, things like this. So it's, it's more in, – in an, from, from the immune perspective, histamine is more the initiator of the inflammatory immune cascade. So there's all of these you know, follow-up effects that, that these, the immune system is going to go through after histamine gets released. These inflammatory proteins get released, and all this, and they just become his, symptomatic. <clears throat> but and then, so we talked a little bit about the mast cells. Now, the interesting thing is that people with fibromyalgia, which is, you know, kind of a loosely defined diagnosis of connective tissue pain, um, tend to have very high levels of histamine. The, the highest concentration of mast cells in the body is in the connective tissue. So that means people with fibromyalgia are releasing bursts of histamine because there's some something some toxin or some sort of an antigen in the in the the connective tissue that's being released the other interesting thing about people with fibromyalgia is that they serotonin and that connection's been known for a long time well what does histamine do to serotonin it inhibits it so in in a lot of times people that have hives you know, skin reactions like this have high histamine. These are bursts of mast cells. Mast cells are like balloons filled with histamine that they, they pop and they release this histamine into the system. So clearly you can identify somebody that has high histamine just by looking at some of their symptoms, immune-related symptoms, now such what, as the ones we've talked about. Kind of, let's talk about that for a second. Um, what kind of symptoms? Can they be like sinus symptoms? They can be pain. They could be – what are some of the most common that you see where you go – 
ding, 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 without even doing any testing. You're just like, this person is just a massively inflamed, high histamine individual. Itching, watery eyes, sneezing are the the top three. Um, because those are all immunological histamine responses. But a person like could how? Have, um, <laughs> like, like well, like uh, more more kind of a, a like a pathological itch. More like um, I feel like I've got something under my skin and it's just constantly itching. Or if somebody has hypothyroid, uh, another hypothyroids itch a lot. <laughs> I so do. Itching is a big See, topic for us. <laughs> it is. So that's, you know, well, at least for me and Tiffany, and I know it's a symptom, you know, of hypothyroidism, but it's funny because not a lot of people talk about it, but I have had my, sounds crazy, but my shins um, have itched or, you know, whatever, probably my, since I was a teen, you know, just off and on, you know, regularly, which is what makes me think my, my thyroid's been off. But so I already have the itchy, the itchy leg thing going on. And, I can tell lately that I have histamine issues, and it's like an under the skin, like I can't stop itching, like bizarre kind of itching. Well, so the interesting thing about the thyroid and its relationship to this to these neurotransmitters is that well, people have to understand that the thyroid needs thyrox. The thyroid makes thyroxin. And it's deriving its ability to form, form thyroxine from the aromatic amino acids, namely tyrosine. So, you know, there's some people out there that say that, yeah, you should be taking tyrosine if you have a low thyroid condition because it helps the thyroid to synthesize T4. <clears throat> but the, the, the downside to that is that tyrosine is the direct precursor to dopamine. So the other thing is that if you took 800 milligrams of L-tyrosine as free-form amino acid, you'll start modulating your dopamine production. But the other thing that's interesting is that because histamine is associated with dopamine, it's synergistic with dopamine. When you start ramping up your tyrosine and your dopamine production, you're likely also modulating and having an effect on your body's release of histamine in the nervous system. And so this could have an adverse effect on the thyroid. The other interesting thing with the thyroid is that so, why is it that people that are listening, why is it there's there's this connection between candida and low thyroid function? What's the relationship there? Well, so you're talking about the people that have itching that have thyroid related symptoms but what is that? I mean, it's, it's, yes, it's histamine, but is it, it's interesting to note that yeast, candida, and other yeasts share an interesting relationship with histamine. And particularly, when your body breaks down histamine, it gets methylated into um, acetylaldehyde, essentially. And the same thing happens when candida and other yeasts get broken down. They get broken down into acetylaldehyde. So histamine and candida yeasts get broken down basically into the same molecule, acetylaldehyde, which is toxic, mind you. And it has to be further metabolized, broken down into acetic acid, which is you know, the main constituent in vinegar. And it does so through the ALDH enzymes, aldehyde dehydrogenase. So when people, when people are hungover from drinking alcohol, what that actually is, is that is acetylaldehyde building up in their system. And the liver has to continuously break down the acetylaldehyde into acetic acid. 
you ever wonder why some people don't drink alcohol, but they feel like they're intoxicated? I feel yeah. drunk, or I have a chemical sen- – some people say I have a chemical sensitivity, and it makes me feel intoxicated. Well, what that is is that's a buildup of acetylaldehyde. They can't clear the acetylaldehyde. And that acetylaldehyde can either be derived from candida yeast or it can be derived from histamine or both. So Can that be why can, some people feel um, you know, sort of buzzed from fermented foods, kombucha, things like that too? Is that well, part of fermented, that? F- fermented foods definitely contain acetic acid in the form of vinegar and probably contain some amount of acetylaldehyde as well. And uh, I think that the answer to that is yes, probably. There may be some trace amount of alcohol in there, it, depending on how long it's fermented for, but because <clears throat> it'll eventually just convert to alcohol right. if you ferment something long enough, with, if there's a sugar in there. So, <clears throat> so yes, but the, the interesting thing is that some people – so we, we can't just assume that everybody metabolizes acetylaldehyde the same way. Some people break it down faster. Some people break it down slower. But what if the ALD, what if the, the aldehyde builds up in the system? A person is going to be more symptomatic. They'll have chemical sensitivity. They'll feel like they're itching a lot. They'll feel like they're they have a, they feel like dizzy or uh, they feel like intoxicated, but they haven't had consumed any alcohol. They can't break down their acetylaldehyde. They need to start taking alpha lipoic acid and vitamin C because those two things have a, a modulating effect on the enzyme that breaks down acetylaldehyde. So, and the other thing, you, you know, you can look at other botanicals like Andrographis paniculata, which helps the body to break down the, uh, the uh, acetylaldehyde as well. But you want to go upstream to say, well, why is it that may, maybe I got just my histamine levels are extremely high? Right. Because if you start lowering your histamine load, which is totally possible, you start reducing the amount of acetaldehyde that's building up in the system. And the same thing with the yeast. If you address the yeast, the acetaldehyde doesn't become a problem. You know, so there's people out there that have their, their entire problem is systemic candida, systemic candidiasis, where they're itching all the time. Yep, that's me. <laughs> I know diet. Oh I know. I know. I get it. I know diet, and um, you know, how it plays a big role in all of that. And I'm, you know, working on managing all of that. Uh, but you're right. It's all. It's so confusingly, wonderfully interconnected. How you know the candida and and the histamines and all of it just plays such a big role in in your thyroid and how everything works. It's just basically I'm screwed. <laughs> Well, the good so, thing is so that we can we can do things about it, but it, yes, and that's that was, the, that's the whole key. Yeah, I mean we we can affect how the body functions. We can we can alter the body's physiology through nutrition, through diet, through supplementation. But we have to be intelligent about what we're doing to understand well what really is the problem here. Histamine often shows up as a centerpiece to a lot of different problems that people have. Histamine is also found in certain foods. So, so mentioning foods, you know, um, people that have high histamine or another term that's being used a lot is histamine intolerance, where they're actually having an intolerance to histamine that is being produced in their body, which is kind of a confusing conundrum, but um, is probably happening. Um, 
but we have to appreciate that a lot of different foods contain histamine. So if if you're in the if you're in the allergy season during the springtime and you're prone towards seasonal allergies, you probably don't want to be consuming chocolate and alcohol, especially together. So all the, the the ladies out there that like chocolate and wine, which I can understand, because there's there's uh, uh, those those foods have you know, neurological modulating effects on on your 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 endorphins and things like this. They also are very high in histamine. Chocolate, red wine, um, aged cheeses, smoked meats. Um, avocados, bananas, all contain pretty considerable amounts of histamine, cashews as opposed to other nuts. So if you're prone towards higher histamine levels, you have to be attentive. And sometimes you look at what a person's consuming and from a diet perspective, and you take the histamine foods out of their diet, and suddenly their GI symptoms, their gut symptoms improve. Because okay. they're having increased histamine response. And so um, there's enzymes that actually break down histamine in the gut. So when you consume foods that have histamine in them, you have in your in your intestinal tract, in your liver, in your intestinal tract, you have an enzyme called DAO, and DAO helps to break the histamine down extracellularly in the gut lining. But some people don't have enough of the DAO enzyme. You can take it supplementally, of course, and it does seem to help some people with those histamine responses. Good to know. Mm. Is there anything, um, obviously DAO is a natural uh, something. Is there any foods that contain things that encourage the production of that? Or? That's a good question. And, and real well, I'll say this, is that uh, everyone's going to you know, produce some DAO, um, but genetics definitely plays a role in this because in order to make enough of the enzyme, the DAO enzyme, you need to have, you know, genetically need to be programmed for it. So some people that have, you know, double, double SNPs mutations in in the DAO genes, like I do tend to have lower DAO levels. Um, In terms of what foods help to promote DAO, that's a good question. I don't actually know the answer to that. And I don't know if there actually are. But I would say, in general, I would it would probably it would probably come down to some fermentation process in the gut. So it would probably come down to sure. probi- I would guess probiotics. Probiotic, yeah. Microbial balance in the gut would would very likely be a component there. Pretty much guarantee that, but I I don't know definitively. So that's the one enzyme that helps to break down extracellular histamine in the gut is DAO. DAO. And like you said, you mean, there's people that have genetics that maybe just don't make enough, or um, so sometimes yeah. warranting right. the supplementation of that is something that would be done with a functional practitioner, make sure that you you need it and all that good stuff. Right, and I think just in general, if somebody has you know GI gastrointestinal inflammation, infections, uh, candida, you know, dysbi- intestinal dysbiosis, leaky gut. People that have those things probably want to work on those things, and and likely if you do that, you'll start to improve how all of these things talk to each other and how these things work. Right, right. Can we talk a little bit about just because it's a huge topic in the thyroid community, uh, gluten and histamines? Yeah. So can we get your, we get your thoughts on that? <laughs> foods that, well, foods that contain gluten often contain histamine in them as well. 
Um, people that have a gluten sensitivity or a gluten intolerance are very likely going to be releasing histamine as a response to this because their immune system is being triggered. So um, when histamine binds to the H1 and H4 receptors, these are the immune modulating receptors, it's going to, ins it's going to shut down the antibody response and it's going to increase the inflammation response. So um, we can all speculate about how many people are gluten intolerant you know, what percentage of the population, probably a lot larger than is, is being reported, but uh, at least I would argue that. Um, but we, we can definitely uh, say that it's, it's more likely that people that have gluten intolerance are going to have higher histamine. And by reducing gluten, um, you're likely going to be helping, helping to reduce that histamine load. So it would be an interesting experiment for the listeners out there. Well, See what happens if you consume – go ahead and consume as much gluten as you want and see what happens to your skin. I know that personally for me, if I consume uh, gluten-containing foods, um, I seem to have a threshold for it. So if I consume you know, like a bowl of pasta, for example, which I don't really do, but if I've done, if, when the instance that I do that, I'll start noticing that I have itching going on in my skin, which to me suggests a histamine load increasing. So I think there's definitely a relationship there. Right. So I have, a, I have a bizarre question for you. Have you ever seen someone have very low histamines, but yet symptoms of histamine production? You've ever seen good that? Good question. <laughs> very good question. Man, wow, you are really putting me to the test here. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Okay, so the whole blood histamine is a test for intracellular and extracellular histamine together. Now, what's interesting is that the histamine that gets released extracellularly is primarily the histamine that's being utilized by the immune system. It gets broken down by DAO extracellularly. The histamine that's inside of the cell is being metabolized by a different mechanism, by a methyltransferase. And that histamine inside of the cell is having more of an effect neurologically on the, on the neurotransmitter Ding, ding, systems. ding. <laughs> okay, keep going, so, please. I'm listening. <laughs> so, well, so if a person has low histamine... First of all, well, I should say low whole blood histamine, but histamine symptoms, they still could have high histamine, but that histamine is being metabolized very rapidly to where it's actually showing up low in the blood as opposed to high. So we have to appreciate that what the histamine result actually could be reflecting is the mechanism of how that metabolism is being broken down, how that histamine is being metabolized and broken down. And how do you determine that? Well, you can't really determine that because you're, you're looking at that. that's more of a, a measurement of oscillation right. of symptoms oscillatory. All kinds of stuff, yeah, yeah. You have to just, you know, the same thing is true about thyroid hormone. Look, looking at triiodothyronine T3, <clears throat> T3 has a very short half-life in the blood it gets metabolized typically very, very rapidly. 
less than less than an hour or so. I think probably, in the, and I, I'll bet you that if if there was some way to test that, you'll find that some people metabolize T3 much more rapidly than others. Right. Because it's just the nature of individuality. Yeah, and so it's like, well, when you look at free T3 levels in the blood, and they're low, is it that they're not? They're, are they not converting the T4 into T3? Is it a conversion problem? Or are they metabolizing the T3 very rapidly and it's showing up low because of that reason? Right. So we just don't know. We have to, we have to get better at looking at these things between the cracks. Because I guarantee right, that's what I'll... the body is doing. And so you sure. know, we have to see if we can figure that out. Right, it's it's just like which makes it inflammation so markers too. Right? They can. Well, that that makes a difference between a great practitioner and a not not so good practitioner. Absolutely. One is going to go strictly on blood values and and you know miss the the freight train coming, and then you have a functional practitioner that looks more on the patient's symptoms and says something is seriously backwards here. This is not giving us an accurate value because this person has all of the symptoms of all of these different things. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly right. We can't take a test result at face value. You know, we right. we can't treat test results. We can only use right. test results as a piece of evidence, as a guide to kind of is a is one one piece of evidence, but not as an absolute. You know, anything. You, you know, and that's that's really important. You know, it's it's like the difference between a quantitative analysis and a qualitative analysis, or that's kind of where the term functional medicine or functional analysis is kind of useful because we're looking at things in terms of its function rather than just saying this is high, this is low. Take this because of this being low, this because of this being high. It's different. I mean, somebody could very well have high histamine, but they could be breaking it down very slowly, which is we're looking at that. Those are di- those are two different problems. Right, right. You know, but oh, and then again. The... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's so I we're just saying off. like, well, you're just saying it's it's interesting because it's always we're always looking at cause and effect. Everything is, is everything is affecting everything else in the body, but some things affect things more quickly than others and, and more readily than others. So it's, it's kind of like how can we it, – so the body's a moving picture. So it's like how can we track the patterns that are being re, you know, revealed by the, the body in different ways, and how can we possibly intercept with a pattern that may be you know, deleterious or affecting us in some negative way? The histamine is like one of I, I view histamine as one of those biomarkers that because it's involved in so many different things that's going on in the body, it, it's one of those biomarkers that I pay attention to because and not only on testing but also symptoms. People that have low histamine may be more creative or artistic people. They they may have um, an intolerance to estrogen, for example. They they may have different characteristics and in, in traits than people that have higher histamine levels, and so this gets into kind of more of this philo- philosophy of it. And people that have higher That's people that have higher hist- yeah people that have higher histamine are are more prone towards depression and anxiety and um, more prone towards um, you know uh, uh, academic. Um, underachievement, but they're they're very focused people. Like I'm very high histamine type. 
So I, I tend to have very different traits than people that have lower histamine symptoms. And those are, those are again, it's so because histamine is like um, – Histamine is, is it's like looking at your fingerprints in a way. It's, it's a, it tells a, it tells about your personality, or it can. Wow! You know that, okay, so that all is this such is a, just, I'm, I'm intaking all of this, and I'm thinking about the patient perspective and uh, self advocating. And I have, you know, I've been I've mentioned my friend on the last three or four episodes, but I'm thinking of it from her shoes, thinking. Well, I kind of made her start questioning things because she said she didn't have a thyroid problem. And then later in the conversation, she told me that, well, she was taking Synthroid and she has nodules, but she doesn't have any thyroid issues. <laughs> so, you know, it led to this like, <clears throat> well, how are you feeling and all that? So she started, you know, asking questions. And what I'm thinking is, you know, this is so complex. And how do you know that your functional medicine doctor is good or isn't good or is asking the questions? How do you know what questions to ask? I'm just thinking of it from that perspective, thinking, wow, this is so big and, and not easy for people. We need to self-advocate. But how come, what happens when you don't know that you need to be asking certain questions, right? Well, I mean, I think I agree with you. Self-advocating is, is key. I mean, the reality is that most doctors today, they're, they're just, there's no way that they're going to give you the answer. They're so unlikely that they're going to give you the answers to what you're looking for. Because, number one, they don't have the time to spend more than 10 minutes with you in a room. Right. Uh, so it, forget it. It's not happening. So we have to rely on our own you know, analytical skills and patient advocates like, like, like you and you, like you two are, are great because they help to connect the dots. They help people to figure out the missing pieces of the puzzle. So uh, it's, it's an important thing. It really is. And it's a beautiful relationship when it works well. So you have a patient advocate that has really done their homework trying to collect the dots, and then you you facilitate the education and the knowledge of the practitioner. I mean, it's a it's a two sided coin that has to be that has to be working that has to be working well. You know, Absolutely. lots of people get in trouble when they think they're smarter than their doctor. <laughs> you know, the doctor's like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute here. Well, well the scary thing is that when it act, the scary thing when it actually happens when they actually are. When they actually are, right? <laughs> that's a that's a whole other animal, right? On a whole other on a whole other show. <laughs> oh my god! They definitely, definitely are those. So, a quick question for you, Michael. So, do you, um, you know, when people say, "Well, I just take a ton of antihistamines," I mean. Are you? Do you encourage the utilization of that temporarily while a, while the root problem is being figured out, or are you just like that? Just alters the whole ball game. Don't do that. Okay, that's People a great question. People are like question. addicted so, to antihistamines. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that well. So here's the other thing: that histamine is just a symptom. If you if you somebody has high histamine, that's just a symptom. You can certainly address the symptoms as necessary. You know, with symptom management, but it's still. But more importantly, you want to figure out well, what's driving this ship? What is what's right, the so, cause of this high histamine in the first place? So, so an a lot of it technically just putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. It's not right, it's not which, an end of the problem. It's it's just you're just masking it essentially. Absolutely, you're quieting it. I completely, one hundred percent agree with that statement. One hundred percent. So. I, you know, I, I, I'll tell a story. So I, 
when I moved to California from Chicago, where I, where I grew up, I moved out here, and within the first year, I suddenly started getting the most incredible seasonal allergies every spring. I mean, it was unbelievable. I never experienced that in my life up until that point. Wow. <clears throat> and it was, you know, probably somehow related to, um, at least partly related to the, all of these different plants that my body had never been exposed to before right. and this extremely high amount of pollen that it was unlike what I'd previously experienced in the city before, different things, changes to my gut microbial bell, who knows, all these different, but it started happening. And I, so I was, I started taking a supplement, standard process Antrinex, which is a, it's a, it's a natural, it's a bovine liver fat extract that happens to be a natural antihistamine. And there are a number of other natural antihistamines. There are certain forms of quercetin that, that not over-the-counter quercetin, but, but certain forms of quercetin, di, dihydroquercetin, you know, th those are, are much more uh, stronger antihistamine effects, that, especially if they're liposomal or enteric coated. So, you know, and, and I would be able to effectively modulate at least temporarily the histamine symptoms that I was going through, the sneezing and the itching eyes and all the, you know, the high histamine symptoms that are associated with high pollen count. So I was able to take, you know, some Antronex and, and, you know, within 10 minutes, 80% of the symptoms would clear, but it was still only treating the symptoms because I'm having to take Antronex all the time in order to get the relief. Right. But then I figured out where I, I made the, the big breakthrough came for me when I started modulating my, my gut microbial balance. And I started to really intensely focus on taking certain probiotic strains that would immediately modulate the histamine response. So by modulating my gut function, specifically my gut microbial balance, I was able to effectively control the histamine response probably 80 to 90%. So now I can go through the springtime with dramatically less reactivity to pollen than I used to, primarily because I addressed microbial balance. Microbial balance. Now let's talk a little bit about that for a second, because a lot of people say, oh, I take my probiotics. I, I get them at Walgreens, and, and, and you know, I guess I'm, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> any, any thoughts on that as far as strains and problems and individual people? Well, that's the good question, and and, and uh, you know the thing is, is that a lot of probiotics will never actually make it to the gut, to the, to the actual where they need to go. They'll they'll get broken down by stomach acid, or by digestive enzymes in the gut, and you know, good luck trying to recolonize your your microbial balance. But you know, there's certain probiotic supplements out there that are are much more likely to to have a modulating effect, to to colonize better. Um, uh, the, the the probiotics that I've seen work clinically for people with histamine symptoms more often than not, the, the Megaspore probiotic seems to have a, a modulating effect for at least, I'd say 70% of people with high histamine tend to respond very favorably to the Megaspore. It's definitely what worked for me. Um, there's other forms of bifidobacterium that have shown to have a modulating effect on histamine. I think Bifidobacterium um, uh, infantis and brevis have, have um, histamine modulating properties, so those particular st strains. 
And the reality is that we need to really be paying close attention to our gut microbial balance anyway because it's compromised in, in most people for various reasons. Right, right, absolutely. So uh, oh uh, that's a, I think that's a, big, that's a big part of it. I think that you know, also looking at things like if somebody has a yeast issue, they are more likely to have a histamine issue. And, and it's interesting right. to note that the, the, the symptoms of histamine, at least surface, on the surface of the skin, the itching symptoms tend to, tend to be modulated by histamine, but it could be underlying, it could be an underlying yeast infection that they have. A yeast well, or fungal let's issue. Talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about candida uh, particularly. So there are so many different, you know, I mean, of course, everybody, you know, everybody consults Dr. Google, right, Michael? And, just, and there's so much information. You need to take all of the alcohol, all of the sugar, all the carbohydrates, you know, and people are running around eating green beans. So that's only one portion of the problem, right? You have to, like you said, encourage the, the proper, you know, um, uh, microbiota and, and with probiotics. So what? tell us some things that are helpful for you, reasonable for people who are struggling with yeast overgrowth? So the first thing you need to realize is that everybody produces some type of yeasts. And actually, the intestinal environment normally contains a very high amount of yeasts. The intestines are a Which fermentation chamber. Right? Absolutely. That's important. Right. Totally. Um, but the problem happens when, when certain yeasts become more aggressive and proliferative and they start to, to, to take over. And so candida albicans is one of these kinds of yeasts, but there's others that can show up as well. You know, like I, I like to look at a, the Great Plains Urinary Organic Acids Test because to me it's, it's probably the more definitive test to actually understand which yeasts you're more likely dealing with. And those yeasts can be derived from environmental factors like drinking coffee, for example, that contains aspergillus or um, taking um, some or, or taking a supplement. You know, I, I was talking to just on that note, I was talking to um, a, 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 an account representative for a supplement company. And, and she tells and that this supplement company is, is very well known for having very strict standards and. Um, you know, they test the, the raw materials that they receive from their sources. She was telling me that about 30% of the raw materials that they receive in, in, from supplements that the, 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 the actual um, manufacturers, <clears throat> actually these 30% are contaminated with yeasts and molds, and they have to throw oh, them away or send them back. <laughs> right. That doesn't surprise me at all. Wow. So we, ha we have crazy. to actually – yeah, it's, it's crazy, but we have to really consider – all of the different factors that can be contributing to why somebody has a yeast imbalance, if that's something that they're dealing with. Um, one, of the, one of the major components to that is the, uh, toxic metals and chemicals that are in the environment. So we know that, um, for example, mercury will have a proliferating effect on yeasts in the gut, as well as on a number of different microbes in the gut. Um, it's important to point out that the intestinal microbes and the intestinal environment, the intestinal microbes will literally have a feeding frenzy when there's chemicals and metals that are being dumped into the intestines from the liver's conjugating um, metabolism. So the liver conjugates toxins. We're breathing in toxins. You know, we're, to get, out, get on Highway 5 
and tell me how much benzene in, you have in your bloodstream after 30 right. minutes. <laughs> oh, you're ingesting, God, you're, you're breathing in benzene and, and, and you know, uh, chemicals and you're, you're get into your liver within minutes is your liver's filtering all the blood continuously. And then you conjugate those toxins and they get dumped into your intestinal environment on a day by day basis. Well, what's going to happen to the microbes in the gut? They're going to start to proliferate. So, you know, for example, you look at <clears throat> Klebsiella um, and, and gra gram positive and gram negative microbes have a high affinity for heavy metals. So 50% of the dry weight of a, of a microbe can actually be a, of a, a toxic element like iron, mercury, lead, cadmium, aluminum. Strep and staph, when you see that showing up on a stool test, that usually indicates aluminum is present in the system. Blastocystis wow. hominis, that parasite releases histamine. So wow. we have to appreciate that microbes can also be a factor here. So if okay. somebody has a systemic yeast imbalance, you've got to look at the, the metals and chemicals that are in their system, namely mercury. I would be, that's the first thing I'd be looking at. Well, seeing as how you brought up mercury, let's, let's talk about one thing, because we love to ask all kinds of different practitioners and, and people mm -hmm. that we interview how they feel about iodine and its role in Thyroid health. the human body. Yeah. Any, well, that's any, a good any, question. Let's talk about <laughs> iodine as it relates to the thyroid. And so Perfect. iodine... Anywhere you want to well, start. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's a controversial subject because many people um, say you need absolutely, if you have low thyroid, you absolutely should be taking um, iodine. And then there's the other camp that says you should absolutely not take iodine at all. I mean, very diametrically opposed in some... I don't know what, what the consensus is in terms of have you actually seen fist fights breaking out with people arguing about this topic? I would imagine so. Uh, just, uh -huh. just shy oh, of it. Believe, it. believe it or not, <laughs> this is why we always like to ask the people that we find to be – we call it, Dan and I call them super smarties. Super smarties. So you fall, yeah. in, you fall into our super <laughs> smarty category. So we, there, it's so controversial. Oh, my gosh, just – you know, and these are super intelligent, well-researched, well-educated people that just agree disagree. with every, dis, every bone of their body. They disagree. So we always like to see where people fall on this subject. And, um, you know, usually it's, like you said, it's, it's, it's um, extreme. So either none or, you know, 50 milligrams. I mean, you're just like, gee whiz, we can't, we can't come to a happy medium here at somewhere, but just in the relationship you brought up mercury, and so I'm just curious where you fall, and you know what Michael, you can say, I plead the fifth and I prefer not to comment and Dana and I will respect that with with everything but when there are people that we have on the, on, on, uh, the podcast that we find are extremely intelligent and well researched, we inevitably try and bring up that question because we love mm -hmm. the input from all of these mm -hmm. super smarties Yep. Here, I'm going to give you my input on this, and I, I, I'm glad you brought it up, and it's something that I've been pondering actually as of recently, the, the whole iodine discussion with relation to the thyroid. So first of all, we have to appreciate one thing. The thyroid gland is an oxidation production factory. That's a very important fact that needs to be understood very clearly. The I'll repeat it again. The thyroid gland I is an oxidation say, yes. production factory. Why is it that people with autoimmune thyroid 
often have, and, and I'm talking about women primarily, often have, but men too, often have hair loss, clumps of hair falling out. Why is that? What's the relationship there? Why is it that people that have low thyroid or autoimmune thyroid are often recommended to take glutathione or glutathione promoters? Why is it that people <laughs> with low thyroid are oftentimes recommended to take selenium? Why is this? Is it just for the T4 to T3 conversion? No. The, uh, the thyroid gland is an oxidation production factory. And by that, I mean that the thyroid itself generates a considerably high amount of free radicals. Unlike, I mean, all, all cells, mitochondria will put out free radicals as a, as a byproduct of, of, of ATP production in the electron transport chain. You're going to be pumping out superoxide to some extent. The thyroid gland is an exception to that. You've got a protein in the thyroid peroxidase called DUOX1 and DUOX2, D-U-O-X1. And these are basically an enzyme known as NADPH oxidase. What does that mean, first of all? So NADPH oxidase, NADPH is an enzyme that, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a redox cofactor. NADPH is an electron donor. So it is involved in the recycling of your glutathione system. So when you use up your glutathione, it has to get an electron to get reused again. And then you can recycle it. And then, you know, everyone knows glutathione is your antioxidant, main, main cellular antioxidant, protects against oxidative stress and free radicals, you know. Um, but NADPH is the electron donor that keeps the, the glutathione recycled in its, in its reduced usable state. NADPH oxidase it literally is oxidizing that molecule that's regenerating glutathione. So that oh means it's, it's using up. It's not only using it up, but it's, it's basically it's causing a, a, a wasting effect if it becomes mm -hmm. out of control. So NADPH oxidase in the thyroid peroxidase protein will pump out a considerable amount of superoxide and hydrogen peroxide. Well, those are very potent free radicals that have a localized effect. What is hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, doing in the thyroid gland? Its primary function is to oxidize iodide into iodine. Yes. So if you are, let's say somebody has autoimmune um, thyroid, let's say they have an elevation of their thyroid peroxidase antibody. Their immune system has targeted it or is targeting their thyroid peroxidase protein. Why is it doing that? There's something going on in the thyroid peroxidase protein that's causing the immune system to, tr to tag it as a trigger. There is something in there, whether it's a toxin or a virus or a heavy metal like mercury, or an increase in some sort of oxidative process, such as the excess production of SO2 or H2O2. No one has a definitive answer to this. I speculate, based on the evidence, that it's because, A, there's a toxin that's literally bound up in the thyroid peroxidase protein that's causing the immune system to tag it, or there's such a high generation of SO2 and H2O2 that the immune system sees it as a threat. And it's literally mm. trying to attack 
the, the free radical production that's occurring in the thyroid peroxidase protein. So, so the question about iodine supplementally is, this is my current stance, and that could change over time. If somebody okay. has, we, we appreciate that. Well, everything is evolving. I mean, we, we, we're not. There's nothing definitive. It's all a moving, you know, process. If somebody has an elevation in their thyroid peroxidase antibody, which is TPO I, for for the listeners, right? For TPO antibody, I definitely <laughs> do not recommend taking potassium iodide or iodide, iodide in general. Why? Because it's going to in, iodide is going to increase the activity of thyroid peroxidase. And if you have an already existing immune attack against your thyroid peroxidase, why would you try to increase your thyroid peroxidase even more? And that is most supplemental iodine. Or for, it, most supplemental rule, iodine is iodide, correct. Right, it's potassium iodide, right. But oh, the, I love so, this, Michael. Keep going. <laughs> so the, the, but the key, so we all know that the key with autoimmune thyroid is to get the antibodies under control, because it's not a, it's not necessarily the etiology is not necessarily a low thyroid problem. It's an autoimmune imbalance over time could right. result in low thyroid activity, but the underlying mechanism there is an it's an autoimmune dysregulation involving you know Th1 Th2 major histocompatibility complex, HLA-1, DRB-3, all these different immune surface, cell surface antigens, proteins that are involved in this cascade. So we know that it's an immune imbalance, primarily first and foremost. So why would you take something that is going to increase the function of the protein that's being targeted by your immune system? It doesn't make any sense. So instead, no. take, instead if you're going to take, if you have an auto, I'm saying this is if you have an autoimmune situation that's out of control right you know there's why is there so much research that shows the connection between epstein-barr antibodies and autoimmune thyroid like anywhere between 30 and 80 percent of people (laughs) well we have to appreciate that the epstein-barr virus could actually be residing in in the 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 the, you know there could be transcription of those viral proteins in the thyroid proteins itself there could be a virus in the thyroid and that could very well be the reason why you're targeting that your immune system is targeting it. So that makes a very different patient. I'm just trying to make I'm trying to take your super smartness and put it in layman's terms. A TGAB autoimmune thyroid patient and a TPO right. thyroid autoimmune patient are two entirely different thyroid patients. Would that be a correct statement? Well, yeah, because you know you're looking at you're looking at thyroid globulin versus thyroid peroxidase, and those are different proteins. So thyroid globulin is the protein that um, basically thy- thyroid globulin makes T4, basically. That's and it, it, there's the, the tyrosine residues on the the thyroid globulin protein is, is basically thyroid globulin takes iodine and then converts the iodine into T4. Well, I should say iodine is a cofactor to, to, for that process to happen. So, um, but so here's what you're the interesting saying, if I can thing, sum it up. Here, well, here's one thing. Intake. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one, I want to say you one go. interesting thing about a study that was done recently. It was an association-based study that showed that the higher the thyroglobulin antibody 
the more light, the more the higher their level of whole blood mercury. So what that suggests is that if somebody, but they found no association with the TPO antibody, which suggests that for some reason mercury, it suggests that for some reason mercury has a higher affinity towards thyroglobulin protein, and that targets the immune system. So if you ever see high thyroglobulin antibody, but not TPO antibody, look for mercury toxicity underlying this problem. What's interesting is that would, the thyroid gland... Now, would that mean which, that that person would need iodine because that helps detox mercury? Is that, would that be a correct statement or, or no? Well what, they need, well, well, what they need more is to support their, your, their, their thiol, glutathione redox glut, detoxification system. So in order to detoxify... So I want to go back to what I was saying before, that the thyroid gland itself is an oxidation factory... You've got NADPH oxidase generating high amounts of superoxide and hydrogen peroxide. But you have to appreciate that in order to, well, how you, in order to detoxify those free radicals, you've got to have catalase and you've got to have glutathione peroxidase. So the thyroid will locally utilize those antioxidants to detoxify those free radicals. Well, glutathione is the other main antioxidant that detoxifies mercury. It's one of the only antioxidants capable of detoxifying mercury. Because it's something that's it's you need it's such a heavy metal you need something that is capable so the sulfur atom in the glutathione is capable of doing that and reducing the the H2O2 in that case to water. <clears throat> so, um, do, you know, do you need iodine in that case? I would say be careful with throwing gasoline on a fire because if somebody has elevated thyroglobulin antibody. I would not give them any kind of iodine at all until you resolve that antibody that's elevated, which, again, probably goes back to mercury. At least that's what the current evidence suggests. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, I love this. We could spend six hours. I could spend all I could spend a week with you. <laughs> well, it's just. Well, you know, Stephanie is in California, uh, Michael. <laughs> What I love the most about you, Michael, is it's never just yes or no and iodine without the form, and I'm sure there's even selenium and other things. It's just, and Dana and I so incredibly appreciate the fact, and you are, you are just putting it all out there, that every thyroid patient is different. They have different. a different path to healing. And what's interesting is that what, what I hear in your voice is, is if, it's, if that's a, a, an oxide production factory, when you add thyroid hormone on top of that, right, you increase the production. Well, theoretically you do. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if necessarily, if you, if you give T3, is that, that probably is going to it's, I mean, there's a feed, there's feedback loops there. So, if you're giving T3 and T4, you're probably going to be increasing the the overall net function of the of the T, of the HPT, uh, HPT axis. Uh, you know, you're gonna you know, you're gonna get an increased okay. sympathetic activity, and the receptors in the cells are gonna be stimulated, and so on. Um, so yeah, you, you're going to increase. You're, you're going to increase. Giving thyroid hormone is going to increase the function of the thyroid. And there's a lot of debate about, you know, if should you even give thyroid hormone if somebody has an autoimmune thyroid problem? Because wouldn't that just set off more of the fan, fan more of the fumes? 
I think that's you a, have that's to another also... band-aid on a gaping wound. That's another band-aid a, on a right, gaping it, wound. It, yeah. Now there's something to be said. Well, you know, over time, if the thyroid takes so much insult from the, from the autoimmune process, the the function of the thyroid could certainly falter over time. I mean, I've seen people with a TPO antibody of, of 10,000 and uh, a TSH of 65 in, in their T4 and T3 were both low. Okay. So they're definitely, uh, their, their thyroid function is definitely compromised. No doubt. I mean, they're symptomatic as well. So it's like, well, you have to then, you know, try to boost the thyroid in any way you can while working to correct the autoimmune problem that's driving it. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of arguments to make about everything. You can make an argument about anything. And, and, and you know, right. this, all, all these theories may or may not actually work for every person. You, you have to just – you have to just actually see what works. I mean, I, I've had clients right. even just recently that, you know, they, they, they had they t- taking uh, – diagnosed with Hashimoto's and 25 years later, uh, they, they've taking – T4 that whole time they said like, I'm just going to st- stop taking a cold turkey they noticed no difference they had no effect whatsoever it had no stopping the thyroid hormone it had no effect whatsoever on how they felt nor on their numbers of their tests so why even take it interesting right even but then though you have other for the listeners that, T4 takes a significant you know more more time to adjust correct what 6-8 weeks something like that where T3 is a much quicker um much quicker. Yeah, T3. Well, <laughs> T3. There's the, load, there's the loading dose and all that for, for the T4. And, and the thing, the thing that's interesting again is that we talked about things like selenium and glutathione. People have low T4 levels. Um, this is a huge problem because they cannot generate flavin adenine dinucleotide. This is one of the main redox agents of the body used for not only energy production but also for antioxidant recycling for, re, for what's called redox, reduction in oxidation. So people that have a free T4 of less than one, I'm definitely supplementing with 50 milligrams of, of riboflavin 5-phosphate unquestionably. If you look at the studies on that, that's consistent. Red blood cell glutathione levels are low in people that have low levels of free T4 because they can't put out FAD, which is, your, which is needed to regenerate your glutathione. And, and we see, I actually see that a lot, and I'm, I'm sure you do, when people take a desiccated thyroid. You know, a lot of them can actually become hyperthyroid, and their T4 still remains low. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's never just take this pill and you're done. <laughs> Oh, no, never it's, never like, it's never that way. It's never that way. It's a, it's a complicated <laughs> jigsaw puzzle of information, no doubt. And, and oh it's so frustrating. Gosh. Again, here I am as the patient, you know, advocate over here. But you know, that's what people think. And even people that are are taking think. the one pill, right? They think they're doing everything they should. They go to the doctor. The doctor says take the pill, and then they come home and they think it's just old age or part of life. You know, these symptoms and things. They don't even associate it. They don't even know to ask the question. And, you know, their symptoms could be, you know, not as terrible as someone else's. So they just live with it, and they just take the pill, and it's really not even doing anything. And then they say, which is very common, like your friend, I don't have a thyroid problem because maybe my TSH and my T3 and T4, that's a whole other story of falling in the normal range. I don't have a thyroid problem. And Dana and I just chuckle. We're like, okay. (laughs) 
you have gallbladder issues, you have carpal tunnel, you have all these different vision, brain issues, all these different things, but you don't have a thyroid problem because all that looks normal. <laughs> that's a that's a whole nother show, Michael, because I know that you're just chomping at the bit on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, we oh have, my we have gosh. to. You have to be more intelligent about how we look at everything, and that's what it comes down to is that. You know, we, we have the ability to leverage all, all of this information and, and try to really put together a, a, a very evidence-based perspective on what's going on in the body under certain circumstances. Absolutely. And you know and what? what I want to tell you one of the things I love about you the most is when you said, my, my stance on iodine could change tomorrow, that knowledge is ever-evolving. You don't say, I've got the answer, this is it, back off, that, you know, that it is ever-evolving. My kudos to you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that particular stance. Yeah. Awesome. Doesn't cover it. Well, we, we have to be very... Um, you know, researching this kind of stuff, it's very humbling because it shows you what you don't know. And um, as you know, that there, this kind of work, um, there's so much, um, there's so much to, to all of this uh, that it's very humbling. I mean, the reality is that (laughs) we don't know anything really. We we do. I mean, we, we have, but it's, it's more, it's more about how to kind of, use logic based on the information that you have. And, right. and so what different way of thinking about it. But I love the fact that you say that you could change. It could change. The information, your stance on something sure. could change as, as more information sure. becomes available. And it, when people are just lock, stock, and barrel in something, it's just like, oh, really? You know, yeah, knowledge well, you is have ever evolving. An, we learn more. You have to keep an open mind. I mean, you'll never learn unless you keep an open mind. No, that's true. And, and so, we, so it's crazy because I'm, I was just going to say it's crazy because, you know, we are we are changing. We are ever changing. Um, our bodies are always, you know, oh, that reminds me they're always regenerating. There was a there was a quote. I don't know if it was your quote or not, but uh, it was on your Facebook. It said you can tell me if you said this or not, Michael. The human body is a gigantic regenerating system. It breaks down and regenerates. Even the molecules that are the regenerators are themselves regenerating i did say that and, and uh, that was <laughs> i i was at the time when, when i wrote that i was it was, this is about uh, seven or eight days of, of going into this research on um on the subject of redox reduction in oxidation this this shuffling of electrons back and forth back and forth back and forth and this is happening i mean i couldn't there's there's it's it's harder to tell you where it is not happening than it is because it's it's it's, a, it's in everything but that's essentially true. Is everything is affecting everything, and everything is being affected, but some things are being affected by things more than others. And when it comes to that particular statement, I mean, it, it just shows you that the human body is so vast in its physiology. It, it really is uh, remarkable. Okay. Well, we are gonna we're gonna let you go, but first, before we do that. We always like to ask our guests about their, you know, about themselves and, and where you came from and how you got into this business, and, and we want to know your story a little bit. So, so give it to us. Well, you know, like many people, um, the, the journey for me started when I got sick and had to heal myself. And um, 
that's the beginning of it. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I made a a a, 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 a pact or a, a, a promise that I would just learn everything I possibly could uh, to help as many people as I could. And eventually, um, that's kind of how it evolved. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about where the where the yoga uh, came in because I know that um, Catherine mentioned that you are a proficient uh, yogi, and we want to know a little bit about it. Well, I've been practicing various forms of yoga for the last sixteen years, and uh, it all kind of started. Well, it back in the earlier days when I started, I, I was really adamant about wanting to develop a personal practice and a personal discipline that would help to um, deconstruct my thoughts and um, help to, to change stress patterns that were existing in my body and in my, in my, my nervous system. Um, and to, you know, improve my ability to, to, to think more clearly and rationally about things. And so that was kind of the, the, the driving force of why I decided to, to get into that practice many years ago. And um, it's definitely helped me to um, d- to develop a different relationship with my body and with myself um, <clears throat> that enabled me to become more focused and clear and rational um, and grounded. Uh, and, and it really, I guess, help to facilitate a a uh a growth process that enabled me to to kind of do what I want to do and to be able to um have have a much more balanced nervous system in many ways so that uh I I wouldn't become stressed out as much I mean you know you you look at how the body is able to do what it does and we we have to appreciate that People like Wim Hof, for example, who's like you see this guy is able oh, to my. control yeah. his his body by breathing and, and you know being studied in in, in laboratories and things. And I, I, this it's really remarkable, but it shows you that the human body and the human mind have a remarkable ability to heal itself, and we can employ certain techniques that that enable us to do that. Yeah, I mean it's Wim Hof is brilliant design. His whole, his whole um, approach is just uh, remarkable and eye-opening, astonishing. There's so many words, amazing, and it just makes you shake your head and go, hmm, you know, wow, I'm glad they are studying him because, you know, he, he's done some pretty amazing things. So, agreed, and I'm glad to, to know about your uh, a little bit about your journey and where you came from. So, thanks for sharing, and thanks for coming on the show. We um. We obviously have a thousand more questions. You're one of those super smarties, and um, <laughs> we are so glad that you took the time to hang out with us today. I'm sorry about the other show. We, we tried to have you on, and that was a miscommunication on my part, I'm sure, but we're so glad to have you back. Thank you so much. Well, it was my pleasure, and I, I, I really had a good time, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Michael, oh, real quick, so tell much. us what's on the horizon for Michael McAvoy and metabolic healing. Well, anything um, on the horizon? I, so my company, Metabolic mm-hmm. Healing, is uh, a web-based nutritional company that, that basically has three parts. Um, the first part is consulting with, with clients. The second part is providing educational uh, training courses. And the third part is um, 
providing data analysis and, and processing of lab test analysis and things like that. So um, I currently am the director of research and development and in making um, training courses and uh, awesome. as well as processing the, 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 the data analysis system. So we have a software program that analyzes blood chemistry and um, genetic data that we integrate and we, we train other healthcare practitioners right now as it stands right now. We have about 320 healthcare practitioners that have taken our courses in, in various topics. And uh, we're looking at um, continuing that. And, and our objective is to um, create a network of, of the top clinicians in the world to help uh, to change healthcare, basically. Smarter Love practitioners. That. that is amazing. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time with us today. You're welcome. Thanks we for had, having me. It's been great. We had a blast. Thank you. We learned a lot, and we had a great time. So thank you so much. We'll have you back. Great. Have Please. a great day. Thanks a lot. You okay, too. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I, I wow. think I'm in like this perpetual flower field. He was so smart. It's just, it's almost like Which he just is wanted why to I take apart so his brain and go, huh? Which is why I was so silent. I was like, I just wanted to like take it all in. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend yep. to be as smart as that. And so, you know, especially <laughs> with brain fog and all my all my issues I need to work on. He was telling me, you know, in a not so subtle but subtle way that you know, okay, you got yeast and you got and you got histamine <laughs> issues, and so you got to work your S H I F T out. <laughs> uh, well, I love. I just love the way that. You know, no thyroid patient. I mean, you just heard it over and over and over and over again. No thyroid patient is the same. It's never just one answer or there's multiple things that have to be considered and every person is a unique individual patient and I'm just, I can't tell you how much I just want to grab a megaphone and say, you know what I mean, we're not the same. We are not the same. This is why what works for me may not work for you. And, oh, right? Absolutely. <sighs> Amen. Right? <laughs> that way, right. We had, that was a sermon today, man. Amen. That's right. That you know was what I mean? fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I was just like, everybody. I'm just going to take all this in and learn. And I was just like kind of just, you know, happy in my little flower field, just listening and learning. And, and also it kind of resonated because it, totally me it's totally all of the people that we yeah. hear from and connect with and so yeah, yeah it, it just made so much sense I just wanted to go okay yay someone gets it right so he was fabulous I knew he was going to be okay. you know I'm friends with Catherine Watkins and so is he and she put, put us in touch and uh, I knew he was going to be and of course all my guests are so anyway it was fantastic well of course because we didn't mention it, and he was just so humble about it, but you can find all things Michael McAvoy at metabolichealing.com, the practitioner um, education and just all kinds of information um, at metabolichealing.com. He was amazing. He was great. <sighs> and he's not too far from you, right? What, four or five hours? 
but you know, if you're oh, gonna go, if you're gonna take the five, be careful not to breathe in and the end of the, uh, the gas is. Joe just went up the five not too long ago. That was just so interesting. And what's funny is he's sleepy all the time, and he did the whole drive in one shot. Like I can't tell you how worried I was about that, but he didn't fall asleep. So I wonder if that like obviously altered things in his brain that <laughs> that moved things around. <laughs> Seriously, but um, yeah, that's just. I mean, you think about the kids that grow up in that area and what happens to their microbiome and just, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, our environment. Well, and, you know, <sighs> we were in the car the other day. We were headed somewhere, and I was smelling the exhaust, but I was in the car, close proximity to two other people, and I was about to die, literally. I couldn't believe that they weren't, you know, trying to jump out of the car and couldn't run hear. away. Couldn't smell it. Right. And they were like, doing their thing. And they couldn't smell it. And I'm like, am I just super sensitive? Well, if so, and you guys aren't smelling it, and you're not realizing how awful this is for your body, y'all are crazy. And we need to we need to speed through this stoplight because I'm not sitting here anymore. I mean, it was terrible. Right? Oh my gosh. We we've become lunatics. Looney one well, and Looney we two. Are sensitive. <laughs> like a spaceship. Oh, I, I can't tell you the number of times I'll say, do you smell that? Can, can you smell I know. That? I mean, I think I we should be used for, like, cadaver finding and things like that. It's like <laughs> a pregnant woman. <laughs> the sniffer is sniff out cancer, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Walking around sniffing oh. people. Nope, you don't have it. <laughs> oh, we're silly. we're silly. Oh, my God. I just had a visual that, that I'll share with you later. Oh no, no! I, now you give me a visual I don't want to have. I wasn't having anything. I was like sweet and little puppy dogs and live thinking, and you were like off the charts and the wrong side of the tracks. Oh great! Okay, let's change the subject. Okay, okay. As always, a very big thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you listening and joining us, and uh, this is why we do it. We do it for you guys to help you learn and self advocate, just as Michael so you know, brilliantly said earlier. And if you enjoy our show and you get a free minute, we would appreciate if you would jump on iTunes and give us a little review. It really helps. Tell us what you think. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, please. Also be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Enjoy the products like Brain Awake Inhaler, which has been something I've been using quite a bit this morning. (laughs) And um, also Love Potion, Counting Cheap. These are formulas that we just made to help people with thyroid issues. Of course, it's not exclusive to just thyroid patients. They smell fabulous, and they're just healthier, more natural, synthetic-free alternatives to some skin care and and help with fatigue and things like that while you all working out your um, finding the root cause and getting everything changed around. So please be sure to check those out, Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. You sound like a commercial. Uh, I love the brain awake. I, I was that. out. I gave mine away to uh, to Amber, I believe, and uh, she's working with uh, Isabella Wentz on her her upcoming special event. And I gave it to oh, her, and I was exciting. out, so I had to I had to wait till Tiffany sent me some more to replenish my my stash. So I've got them all sitting right here in front of me. Yay! Um, they're lovely and it's wonderful. One of our favorite so products. Check it out. 
Yes, please. Make sure to follow Thyroid Nation on all of the social media platforms. We're everywhere. And jump on and join the Hashis and Graves Facebook support group. Super awesome. And, of course, most importantly, Dana and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. I know I sound like a broken record, but make sure to always listen to that brilliant diagnostician that's been built into you uniquely and exclusively and be mindful of what it is telling you regardless of how smart everybody is around you. That intuitive diagnostician is the most important voice to listen to. And you know, it could be as simple as I need sleep. I'm I'm stressing I'm too stressed. Right. I've done too much shopping. Right. Simple. I mean it could be extreme things, but it could be simple things and listen. Or I've eaten and, this, and do. taken this vitamin, taken this herb, I don't feel well. Be mindful of all of that. That it doesn't it doesn't matter what someone has said or how smart they are, that is your body screaming at you to listen. And, you know, start a medical memoir if you have to. I know that, I believe it was uh, Andrea Nakayama mentioned, was it her? Was it someone else? She was she was going to create a medical memoir for people to oh, that's know, right. capture yeah. all their, right? Wasn't it her? Anyway, yeah, so yeah, it I could be, you know, that simple or, or you know, complex or, you know, it doesn't really matter. You just listen to your body. Take yep. note of it and do something about it. Okay, this is Dana, your Thyroid Nation Gringatika. <laughs> From Colorado and Tiffany Milanich of Grateful Garden and MendingMedicine.com. <clears throat> From Joshua Tree, California. <laughs> the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. See you next time. We're going to have a break. We so will. In a couple weeks. Yes. We're going to heal. Thanks, guys. Okay. Have a wonderful day.